0: Oh, you're reading it. Okay. All right, let's all read it together. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Has this happened? Get happy about it. Get excited about it. It is not yours unless you're excited about it. If you're just sort of vaguely aware of it, it's not blessing you. This is an incredibly important New Testament scripture and victorious Christians stand on one side of it, defeated Christians stand on the other side of it. It is the dividing line between your success and failure. It is the dividing line between joyous Christianity, happy Christians, successful Christians, And the kind of Christians that talk about how the devil is kicking their butt all the time. And that's just no fun. You don't want to be like that. I was already in the world like that. Why should I become a Christian and do that? I'm a Christian because I'm blessed and because I'm victorious and I'm staying here in the... I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to take a lot of heaven with me while I'm here on the earth. I'm going to have a little heaven here on the earth. Hey, this is what we've got. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus was made a curse so that what? The blessing of Abraham could come upon me. I'm blessed right now. I don't need the blessing of Abraham in heaven. You know, you don't have to wait to heaven to get blessed. What are you going to need when the streets are paved with gold? You're already blessed there. You need it here. You need the blessing of Abraham right here. Remember uh, Jimmy Stewart... Uh, and uh, it's a wonderful life. He's talking to Clarence the angel. Right. Clarence the angel, you don't remember Clarence the angel? Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Stewart talks about money, and and uh, and Clarence says, "Oh, we don't use money in heaven." And Jimmy Stewart says to Clarence the angel, "It does us a lot of good down here, bub. Right. <laughs> it sure comes in. He sure comes in handy down here, bub." Is what he said, right? right. A little blessing sure comes in handy down here, huh, bub? The blessing. Helps me here. I need the blessing here and now. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You have got to have faith in the blessing. You have got to stand on these scriptures and stand on them and stand on them and stand on them. How do bullies operate? A bully operates on the fact that they're going to take away your lunch money because they think you're not going to do something about it. They intimidate you and you're going to be a, you're going to be a wimp and tell mommy you're going, to, you're going to do this. They're going to keep you from doing something so they can take away your lunch money. But if you'll say, I'm going to tell the teacher and you do tell the teacher and you do use your authority and you do enforce the victory against the bully, you stop the bully. But if the bully can take away your lunch money, he'll take it away today and tomorrow and he'll ask for more the next day. That's how bullies work. Bullies are stopped When somebody stands up to them. When I was in sixth grade, I got pushed around by eighth graders. And when I finally got to be an eighth grader, the first week at school, I went to go push around a sixth grader, just because I I get to do it now. And the sixth grader said, no, you can't do that. Well, that was enough of that. That wasn't fun. (laughs) I'm like, why didn't I do that when I was in sixth grade? He just stood up. I just thought I'd try it. (laughs) He just said, don't do it. Oh, wow. What a concept. What a concept. And so when the devil comes against your finances, Gloria Copeland put it this way. She said, we had learned all about standing for healing. We had learned it and learned it and learned it. We would had so much teaching about healing through the 40s and through the 50s and into the 60s. The great healing revivals of of Catherine Kuhlman, A.A. Allen, Smith Wigglesworth was uh, back in the 20s and the teens, but so many others. There were these great tent revivals. Old Roberts was in there and many others. And people were getting healed and healed and healed by the droves. And so healing teaching was was very common in those days. And then into the 70s, then they started to realize the same principles that were working for healing worked for prosperity and worked for all of the promises of God. And so Gloria Copeland was talking about this way. She said, wait a second. If I have a symptom of... Of disease in my body, I rebuke it and I refuse to let it uh, stay there. I rebuke it immediately. I said, "I said, Christ has redeemed me." Or, give me some healing scriptures here. First Peter two twenty four says, "By his stripes I was healed." Right? And so you said, "I was healed." Therefore, I am healed, and I'm not going to accept this. And as soon as you start to feel a little pain in your body, you say, "No, no, I resist that. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus." But she said, "I started." I started to realize I could apply the same thing when I first had a financial difficulty. I first couldn't pay a bill. You you, you see? She said what we had done is we would have a bad month and then a bad two months or a bad fall or a bad year and we wouldn't start resisting the devil at the first sign of difficulty financially. And she started doing that. She started saying... At the first sign of financial institution, no, in the name of Jesus. I resist that in the name of Jesus. The same way you would with pain or illness or cough or cold. You start immediately coming against that in the name of Jesus. Well, the same thing's true when it looks like there's going to be too much month at the end of your money, right? You can do that. Galatians 3.13 is our main scripture. A great golfer was just one shot away from winning an important major tournament. This was a million dollar tournament and and this great golfer is on his approach shot and there's the green there and he misses his approach shot real bad and goes off into the rough. He's now like 30 yards away from from the cup. The cup's on the other side of the green and he's in tall grass. He's in grass this high in the rough and maybe the green starts about maybe where the fan is over there. So the green starts maybe 10 yards away. The cup is another 20, 30 feet from where the green starts. It's it's way over there. But he's here in the rough. It's down to the wire. It looks like he's out of the tournament because he is in such a bad spot. But instead of him just lining up to just pop it up and just drop it onto the green so that he can two-putt into the hole, he lines up for the cup. He lines up for the cup, and his caddy says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to put it in the hole. And he hits the ball out of the rough it drops on the green and rolls right into the cup. And it's one of the famous golf stories. And I, they show it on a lot of highlight films. But this guy, he's kind of a little bit above the green. He, who was this? Was it Tiger or was it, who was it that hit this shot? But they show it a lot. He hits it out of the rough. It rolls onto the green and rolls right into the cup. He comes running out onto the, onto the, um, onto the green and wins the tournament because of that shot. From the rough, he hits it into the hole. This is... My point tonight is that never feel sorry for the champion. Never feel sorry for yourself. Never get into a spot, always swing for the fence. Always expect to win. Always, always, always go from whatever spot you're in and aim for the cup. Should we feel sorry for Tiger Woods? Don't, 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 don't you feel a little bit sorry for Tiger Woods? Just a little sorry for Tiger Woods, just bought a twenty million dollar yacht. I think he owns an island. I think you know got this gorgeous wife and makes thirty million a year something like that. We should you know flies in a Gulf Stream around everywhere he goes true, true, true. How about aside from that, should we feel sorry for Bill Gates? do you i mean when you're when you're thinking about people to feel sorry for? Bill Gates, is he at the top of the list? You know, Darfur and Iraq and, and things like that. When you're starting to feel bad for something, Bill Gates, does he kind of come on the radar screen? Not usually. How about Shaq? Do we feel sorry for Shaq? Guy's seven feet tall. Everybody loves him. His mom's a great Christian. And he wins all these tournaments. He, he's in movies. He's a deputy sheriff. He's, he's the toast of... Everybody in the United States loves loves Shaq. Doesn't doesn't have too many enemies. Should we feel sorry for Shaq? Why don't we feel sorry for these guys? Because they got it all. It seems like. Yeah, except for Jesus. But now, you don't tend to feel sorry for the champion. You just don't. You don't tend to feel sorry for Shaqs and Tigers and, and, and Bill Gates. You just don't tend to feel sorry for these guys. Because they're the champions. Because they're the top. Because they've got it all. My point tonight is, that's basically what the Bible's saying about you. You're on top. And you've got it all. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Christ. The blessing of Abraham. Is that some teeny-weeny little sort of spiritual thing? Or was Abraham very rich, silver and gold? according to the Bible. That's what exactly what it says. That Abraham was Abraham's blessing just for Abraham? Or did it pass on to Isaac? It did. Did it pass on to Isaac's descendants? It did. Did it pass on to their descendants? It did. Are you the heir of that same blessing? Yes, you are. Are you blessed? Yes, I am. Are you aware of it? I'm making you so. I'm reminding that you are. And if you'll remind yourself on a daily basis, you'll be agreeing with God because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what you want to do to please God and to access your blessings, just remind yourselves of these truths. Don't look at me like, this is the first time you hear it, even though I tell you every single class that this is what's going on. This is who you are. This is what you have. This is what you can do. Because it's the devil who's constantly trying to tell you you're just a face in the crowd. You're just an ant in this long chain of ants. There's a thousand ants running across the floor and you're just one of them on the floor there. Little kid's going to ride across with a bicycle and you're just another ant. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're created in the very image of God. God made heaven and earth for you. He planned all of this and then gave His one and only Son for you. And if there were no other people on the earth, He'd have done it for you. God knows your middle name and He's excited about it. God knows all the shoes that you have in your closet. And He'll talk to you about them if you ask Him about them. God knows about every sock in your drawer. And He could match them for you if you needed Him to. He's good and He knows all the details in your life. He could he could tell you about the, the drawers that you've got in, in, in your kitchen he could he could tell you about these things and he knows where everything all your stuff is he could find stuff for you he knows where all your paper clips are and where every pencil that you own is he, he knows and he cares about all those things all right champions I'm going to read some champion scriptures for you because this is important I'm going to read some scriptures for you Romans 5:17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. This is victory speech. This is God saying who you are and what you have. That you're the champion. You are the champion. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5.17. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Sometimes? Always. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. In mean, Romans eight thirty one thirty two. 32. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Romans eight thirty-one through 37 Verse 38 goes on. says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My point tonight is never feel sorry for yourself. Never feel sorry for the champion. Never, ever feel sorry for the champion. I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. This is Paul. Paul was the one who said at the end of his life, he said that none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. He says that I may finish my course with joy and run the race that has been set before me. Everywhere Paul went, he was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was yelled at, mocked. Everything that could possibly go wrong came against him. And what did he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Paul who had every possible reason and excuse, far more than you have ever, ever had, Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And he said, nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can. Nothing can. This is covenant language. You are in a covenant with God. And it's absolutely wrong to feel sorry for yourself. And I've told you the story about how When I was driving in the car, early married, Highway 92, coming back from Half Moon Bay, know exactly the spot on Highway 92 where I was, just this side of the top of 92, coming down the little windy road through the cypress trees, and God spoke so clearly in my heart, not in an audible voice, but so clearly, as I'm whining to him about my situation, he said, I emptied heaven and earth for you. You do something about the devil. You kicked the devil out of your house. And I did. Sun came out again and happy times and relationships mended and everything was better. It wasn't any long phone conversation or I said, he said, she said. We just got the devil out of the house and everybody happy again. There is a bad devil and he wants to take away anything he possibly can. And he's out to mess you up. You have got to take and got to stand in your authority. And the next time you feel like having a pity party, you have got to get up, get mad, not at self, not at God, but at the cause who is the devil himself. It's not often a person. It's the devil working through a person and causing that person, somebody close to you, to say something that just got under your skin. It's the devil who planted that word it's the devil's fault and it's the devil you got to deal with not the people most of the time champions champions you are champions and you should not be feeling sorry for yourself god is not happy with it god is not happy with how would you like to be watching a basketball player get fouled and then sit down on the floor shack seven foot two Three hundred and some pounds. He sits down in center court. (laughs) He found me. (laughs) He found me. I got a boo boo. Sick. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. It's wrong. When the seven foot two person sits down in the on national television and cries, champions don't do that. When Tiger hits it into the rough, he gets mad. But then he aims for the hole and a lot of times he puts it right in the hole from the bad spot. First John four, 4 You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Have. Have. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God told me to go and tell this six foot two Hawaiian guy, good-looking guy, he's got good-looking wife, he's got two good-looking twins, he's got everything, he owns a house, he owns his cars, he's 30-something years old, he's got everything. And yet he started to have a pity party. God gave me a prophetic word to give to him. I went up and I struggled with this. I didn't want to tell him this. This I know he's not gonna like this. I struggled with it. And I went back and forth. And God says, you go tell him. And I made an appointment with him. I went and spoke to him. I said, here's my word. This is what God's saying to you. God's not feeling sorry for you. And he got all kind of flustered about it. And he started, then, we, then we started talking. And we started dialoguing. And he started explaining that, yeah, you know I've got to get out of this. I've got to get out of this pity party. Because I was raised in a wealthy family. And that's how I got attention. People need love. You need love. You need love. God is love, and you are created in God's own image. You need love. And when something happens to you that takes away your self-esteem, when something that happens to you that takes away from your feeling of being loved, how about that? It hurts. It hurts a lot. And you are loved by God. And Paul said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither height nor depth nor famine nor peril nor things present nor things to come shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Paul was absolutely persuaded, which is why Paul was absolutely and totally successful, more so than any other apostle. He said, I labored more abundantly than them all. Paul just worked harder. Paul just went for it. Paul had fewer pity parties, and Paul went for it. When things got rough, Paul kept going. It's hard to describe his success in any other terms. It's hard to describe why he was the apostle that preached the gospel throughout the entire Mediterranean in his day. And he was more successful than any other apostle. And you can't really put it in any other terms other than the fact that he said, I kept my joy, I kept rejoicing in the Lord always, and I kept confident in the love of God. And I just worked harder. And how can you work harder and how can you work more successfully without the knowledge of God, without the knowledge of the love of God, without the knowledge of your covenant relationship with God? Unless you firmly are entrenched in the knowledge of the love of God, you can't get it done. You are not going to succeed on the road that God has for you unless you know the love of God, unless you continually remind yourself of the love of God. Because one of the things that's just going to jump in frequently and commonly are something called offenses. Offenses. Offense. Offenses. Offensive things. You can't get offended. The devil is going to try to offend you. He's going to use people close to you. He's going to use things that are going to seem unjust. i going to try to get you offended. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I may finish my course with joy and run the race that has been set before me. Jesus was betrayed by one of the twelve that he selected. Jesus was mocked and scourged. Everybody who was close to him left him. Even Peter, who said, I won't leave you, left him. Him three times, ow. Jesus experienced all of that. Praise God, He didn't sin. He didn't sin, and He didn't quit. And because God has forgiven us, we're called to forgive them. I touched on this last week, and God's got me just making the major point of it this week. It's been all I've been thinking about this past week because it is so important for us to get this. No pity parties. Is evil. You are agreeing with the devil. It is the devil who is there with you at that party. It's you and the devil. (laughs) And you can't do that. We all need love. And one of the worst things that we can do is isolate ourselves from the other people who love us. Susie hurt me. And so I'm not going to talk to Susie. Susie. Susie's one of the people I'm supposed to receive love from. But she hurt me. So I'm gonna isolate myself from her, and I'm just gonna love myself. I'm just nobody. Nobody understands me, so I'm just gonna love myself. I'm not answering. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Check the check the check. Who's check who's calling? Check who see who that is. I check who see that that phone call and 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 see if we want to pick up that phone call. Check caller ID on that, because we're because there's there's some people I I I don't I'm ready to talk to that person champions keith moore says it this way doubt pout and you'll do without doubt pout and you'll do without keith moore has a um, policy in his ministry never pet a powder never pet a powder if somebody's giving you the pouty treatment he teaches don't call him you know <laughs> my phone wasn't ringing and i knew it was you a <laughs> country western song I didn't get it didn't get a letter so i knew it was you I know you're not calling me. Keith Moore says, don't, don't pet a powder. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Pouting is somebody having a pity party and you're not supposed to go there. Don't join a pity party. The devil's there. You call somebody up and tell them you love them, tell them you forgive them, try to bless them, but don't, don't play the music at their pity party. Love on them. Doubt, pout, and do without or rejoice in the Lord always and believe you receive when you pray. Think about this for your own self. Rejoice in the Lord always and believe you receive when you pray is diametrically, as far as the east is from the west, opposed from doubting and pouting. I can doubt and pout over here or on the other end of the spectrum. Absolute polar opposite. Rejoice in the Lord always and believe you receive when you pray. There is no middle ground. The middle ground is dangerous place. It is not faith. It's some some place of compromising with the devil. You can't do it. And the only way you're going to get out of that is feeding yourself on the Word of God. Feeding yourself on the truth of the Word of God and telling yourself, I'm a champion. I'm a champion. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I feel like. I'm more than a conqueror through Him who loves me. And I'm going to stir myself up. I'm going to stir myself up on the love of God. I'm going to stir myself up on the authority that I have in Jesus Christ. And I am going to believe I receive when I pray. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I'm going to have a party. I'm going to have a dance in the middle of a difficult circumstance. David said, he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. The white tablecloth sitting down there in the presence of of everybody who doesn't like me. Just just think. Think about a situation. Think about somebody who doesn't like you. Somebody's home where you're not welcome or something like that. And there it is. God is putting a white tablecloth down right there in the middle of the house. And he's got a, a towel over his arm. And God himself is, is setting the things out at your table. God himself is protecting your reputation. God himself is coming against anybody who speaks a word against you. God himself is ruling and reigning over your situation, and you are in covenant with him in the midst of that situation. God has thrown a party for you while everybody else is gnashing their teeth. That's the way you live, conquerors that 's it that 's your situation. You rule and reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Think about this situation, David, first Samuel chapter thirty. This is a really important Bible story uh, let 's go there, first Samuel chapter thirty. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the South, and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they didn't kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. What has happened here? This is while David, who has been anointed king over Israel, is now having to flee from Saul, who actually is the king over Israel. God says, David, you're the king, but Saul is the one who's sitting on the throne. Ever had that sort of feeling about your life? Conquerors? (laughs) God's calling you a conqueror, and... You're not feeling very cockerish. David is the king, but he's not feeling very kingish. He has anointed the king. He is called the king. He is the king. And Saul sits on the throne. Ah! Difficult. But God works this way. David, the king, is having to flee from Saul. He can't kill Saul, even though he's had a couple opportunities to kill Saul. He can't kill him. And he knows not. And he doesn't. And he, can't, he keeps backing up and and backing up, and backing up, and hiding in the caves from Saul, and finally, he just goes all the way over into the Philistines' camp, and pretends he's crazy to the Philistines, so that the Philistines will just leave him alone, and Saul will leave him alone. He has to actually go all the way over and live with the bad guys, the guys that he's been killing for a long time, and somehow or another, he he makes this sort of little deal with those guys. They leave him alone. Everybody leaves him alone, He's over there on the bad guys. Now the bad guys are fighting the good guys. The Philistines are fighting Israel. Saul is now fighting the bad guys. And David works for the bad guys. What a weird situation. This is totally messed up. And he's the king. David's about to go out in battle with the bad guys. And then the bad guys say, no, you can't come. And so they send David back. And so David doesn't go into the battle with his men. The battle happens and and the Philistines fight the Israelites. And that's not the important part of the story. But while David is going out to battle, another group of bad guys knows about this battle and says, all the tough guys left town. And so we could go in there and take everything. And so the Amalekites come in the back door, raid Ziklag, and take everything. All of David's stuff. They come to David's town, where David's living, take his wives, take his kids, take all his men's wives, all their kids, all their stuff. They come home to find they got nothing. And everything's been burned. This is what we get for following you, David. And they talked about stoning him. Okay, this is one messed up, strange situation. I'm anointed king. I'm not king. I'm not even living in my land. I'm living with the Philistines. I've marched out halfway against my own people but I'm not really those people, I'm not really these people, and now all, everything has been wiped out, and now my men are talking about killing me. It's hard to imagine that you've ever been in a more difficult situation in your life than that one. You, you could probably say, I've been in some tough spots, but this measures up in, in as bad a situation as anybody's ever been in. Seriously. As bad a situation as anybody's ever been in. And what did David do? It's a famous story, so maybe many of you know it. Verse six, First Samuel Chapter 30 and verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. And in verse 4, it said that they had they had cried until they had no more power to cry. Talk about a bad situation. These are David and his mighty men have cried until they can't cry anymore. That's that's some pretty bad crying. These are these are guys, and they're crying until they can't cry anymore. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all his people was grieved, every man and his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Underline that, dog ear this page. This this should be one of the greatest pages in your Bible. David strengthened himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in God. It doesn't say an angel came and spoke to David. It doesn't say a friend called him on the phone. It doesn't say that something from the outside came to him. It said he from the inside rose up and fixed the situation himself. His spirit stood up. Psalm says a strong spirit, the strong spirit of a man will sustain him. The strong spirit of a man will sustain him. The story about those Everest climbers. There was an Everest climber who froze to death on the ground, who literally froze to the ground literally froze to the ground with his arm out in the snow, spent the night in like like 50 degrees, 60, 70 degrees below zero. He was out in the cold all night like this on Everest. The strong spirit of this man, whose face basically froze off and whose arm is now frozen off, got up and walked miles into camp with his arm like this the next morning. The strong spirit of a man will sustain him. His arm is frozen out like this. He walked into camp the next day like this because his family were Christian. His family was praying for him. His spirit was the only thing alive in that man and walked in. Showed the man interviewed six months later. He didn't have a nose. It was disgusting. Everything was just frozen off. The man was more dead than alive. His spirit walked him back into that camp. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David did it. David said to Abathir, the, the priest, Amalek's son, please bring the ephod here to me. He brings it to him. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake him? And God answered, pursue for you shall surely overtake them without fail and recover all. And David and his men went down, defeated the bad guys and recovered everything plus their spoil. This is how God works. When it looks like you're in the rough, aim for the cup. When it looks like you are in a bad situation, aim for the cup. Continue to win. Continue to aim for the cup. Continue to expect to win. Continue to expect the best. Continue to expect nothing less than God's best. You are in covenant. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He who did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all. How shall He not also with him freely give us all things? Do not quit. Never, ever, ever allow a pity party to last more than a few seconds. Get out of that. Get out of that. Champions have no business. Shaquille O'Neal, Shaquille O'Neal Allen, has no business sitting on center court crying and sucking his thumb. A champion has no business feeling sorry for themselves. Mm -mm. Moses was the leader of Israel. Gets down to the Red Sea. He's got the ocean in front of him. He's got the mad, 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 mad Pharaoh and all his mad, 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 mad men who want blood, 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 blood just barreling down at him. And God says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Did God feel sorry for Moses at this situation? Did God feel sorry for David in this situation? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God's on your side, how bad can it get? It can't get that bad because you are always in covenant with God. Covenant means your battles are my battles. My battles are your battles. We're always on the same team. And if that's the case, and my hand's in God's hand, how can I fail? How can I lose? I can't lose. I can't lose. Ever. And so I'm on a swing for the fence on every pitch. Every pitch that comes to me, I'm swinging for a home run. Exodus 10 and verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. He said, you do it. You divide it. God did not part the Red Sea. He made Moses to part part the Red Sea. God didn't do it. Moses did. You're going to part your Red Sea or it isn't going to get parted. You part it. Another final scripture here is Judges chapter 1 and verse 1. Remember, Joshua is supposed to go over into the promised land. And they've already said, tribe 1, tribe 2, tribe 3, of all the 12 tribes, here is your land. And you know whose land is yours. And it was a big chunk. And there were great big folks already there with walled cities. And here are these ex-slaves coming in to take over all this stuff. And they didn't fully drive out all the bad guys. And in Judges chapter 1, after the death of Joshua, they start talking to each other and say, I guess we should go up and go get the rest of our land. And Judah says, come on, will you come with me? We're going to go get that because it's ours. And they went and they got it. And those who didn't go and get it, didn't get it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those who didn't go and take their land, never got their land. Those who did go and get their land, got their land. God said it's yours. If there's a big, ugly giant in there, it's still yours. You just have to go and fight that battle with God with you. You've got to get off the couch, go in and take your land. And that's what God is saying. He's not feeling sorry for you. He's not going to have a pity party with you. There's a big giant in my land. (laughs) Go kill him. Go get him. Your job. This is redemptive realities. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having been made a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. This is where we are. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith.